Welcome to Gross Anatomy. So we're live with Gross Anatomy, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it relates to pop culture. You're cracking up, movies, TV, and the world around us, and Josh is cracking up there. And I and and before I even introduce myself and before I introduce Lauren, we have an ongoing debate. And I even Googled it, Josh, and I'm embarrassed. And Lauren, my last name. Yes, I'm. How to pronounce your freaking last name? And I say, Tommy. Doc, it's Tommy. It is Tommy. Oh, nice. I must confess, I thought it was home. And then I looked it up and double checked and, and well, remember that it's like hominin or hominin or hominamanamanama. If it, and obviously if we were in France, it would be om. And so it's natural to think it's home here. Obviously. Right? Obviously. Right. There's a little bit of a connection, but there's some Norwegian, uh, you know what, my family, who knows. It's, so it's, I am, so I'm going to introduce us now. So I'm Dr. Jason Cohen and I'm joined by Lauren Taylor, who I listened to you on the Joe Rogan podcast, and I swear he said home, so then I second-guessed myself. So tell us your name one more time. Joshua Hami. And there you have it. Well, you're, and, and we have you on, um, the reason is this is a medical pop culture show, and the reason we have you on is there's absolutely no reason whatsoever. It's really That's not just, exactly true. It's just to discuss your name. True. <laughs> Yeah. But, All right. Um, Take care, everybody. But before we start with the topic, did growing up, did people want to call you like my homie and stuff like that? Like, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Did you get teased? How, seriously? Well, I'm uh, I'm six five, and you and I have red <laughs> hair, and so when you have when you have red hair, you learn to either run or stay. You know, and right. my dad was always like. Uh, you know, don't let anyone say anything about your mother or about our family, <laughs> or you can't come home. So when I'm like five or six, I'm thinking, God, I can't come home. <laughs> so so um, been, I didn't get, I didn't really get picked on very much. Oh, that's good. So you, you haven't been homeless since age five then? I, I have, I was homeless for a few, for the, from five to six when I really was still making up my mind. <laughs> right. Good, good. Yeah. So, um. So you are a, you're like a rock and roll star, aren't you? Well, you know. <laughs> no, you definitely are. are. Yes. Well, there's two bubbles, okay? Right. They're con they have concentric overlap. Right. Um, I think to somebody else that if you're, when you're blessed enough to have fans that enjoy what you do, um, I think um, they have this image of what that is. And, but the bubble I live in, I just like to play music and it's a great way for me to get rid of PTSD and old baggage and also to transcend things and to really appreciate things. And so I, I think I kind of, I use this tool for a different reason. I certainly know that if you play to be famous, that is a cul-de-sac that you will end up in a very dark end of the street at some point. Yeah. Were you growing up? Was was? Do you ever think, "Hey, I want to be a painter, or this, or that"? It was always, "Hey, I want to do music." No, my my grandmother was a painter, and uh, and my father's a contractor, and and um, I I never had any aspirations to do this for a living. But I think that's probably what helped, 
because I think um, it's coming from a place of being a fan myself. Right. And, and, and I think um, because you couldn't play music for living professionally in the desert, it never seemed like an option. And when I met people that had an attitude that was more egocentric or, or um, bossing people around or didn't appreciate this thing that I get to do, it was really impactful and it sort of disgusted me, much like a gross anatomy. You know, it was like a goiter or a boil on someone's personality. And, nice. Um, nice analogy. Feel- Thanks for throwing in some medical terms there. I'm trying to make this show as interesting as I can. Give me a second. I have to look those up to see what they actually mean. Hang on. <laughs> Siri. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've operated on me before, so I already know that you actually will have to look those up. Right, exactly. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted it. Should we, since you, you brought it up, should we talk about how, how and why we met? For sure. I also okay. want to say that I'm proud to be smoking on this doctor show. <laughs> <laughs> you mean it's not just a prop? Wait, what's that? I thought it was maybe just a prop. Yes, it is. It's, it's closed. It's also a prop, fully improper at the same time, especially at this time. In our well, I'm, I'm drinking a little Kahlua and cream. How about that? <laughs> no, I've... Just like before the surgery. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just, you know what I'm actually having? I am having, normally I'm an oat milk uh, latte guy, but I'm now having a matcha oat latte right now. My wife is a big matcha person, so I decided. What, I don't know what matcha is. Is that just where it has hair on its chest or something, or where's nobody matcha? knows? Nobody has nope. any clue. What matcha is. It's totally a mystery. It's some I've green never thing. I've had a matcha oat milk before. What's that? I've never had a matcha oat milk before, so I don't know what that is. It's really no. I don't think anybody knows. Do you even like it, or are you just drinking it because your wife wants you to? Yes, and there, <laughs> and there you go. That's so, great. Josh, how did how did we meet? Well, you know, I remember it was Drum about two thousand, about two thousand ten, I think. Was it? Um, and so we've known each other for ten years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I must say, you're looking. You look way better now than you did then. I, I wasn't a place then. I wasn't being very good myself, and I was kind of exhausted. I was in a yeah. band called. Them Crooked Vultures at the time, okay. and which is Dave Grohl on drums and John Paul Jones on bass, and we were touring everywhere, and I was exhausted. Yeah, and I was to say I was not being good to myself would be really a gentle way to say yes. I was physically sort of brutalizing myself because I was I was gone so much that you sort of you know there's a there's a tightrope walk you take on tour between your physical and your mental sides. Anyway, so. I that get that. Uh, yeah, you, I'm sure you get that too with the hours yeah. that you put in uh, being a doctor. You know, right. that's some tough hours. But uh, so I'd really run myself down. And um, I thought it was bit by a spider initially. But I hear that that's very normal. Very normal. And uh, I ended up with MRSA. Which is MRSA. A, yeah. Yeah. It's methicillin resistant Staph aureus. I looked that up again just now too. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, but it's, it's just a, a fancy name for a staph infection. And as Josh would say, it could range from yeah. super mild to what you had, which, which was flesh-eating bacteria, basically. Yeah. You know, there was another cat in a band called Slayer, which I'm sure you're a fan of. And he didn't actually, he, he got flesh-eating virus and he didn't make it. So, so yeah, so you, 
luckily, you know, as bad as it was for you, your infection, you did fine and it wasn't that bad, right? But to you, it probably seemed like the worst thing in the world, didn't it? Well, I think for me, uh, what was difficult is there's, it gave me a great amount of experience for what we're going through now. Yeah. Because I was contagious for about three months. Right. You know? And the funny thing about being contagious when you have, like, you, I, I just want to say you're no plastic surgeon because the scar is <laughs> pretty insane. <laughs> but the thing about being contagious, and especially I had a two, a two and a half, three-year-old daughter, my daughter Camille, um, you can't hug them. You can't touch them. It, and, yeah. and, you know, um, and I didn't know, you know, you'd get in the shower and you'd, clean your wounds and then you touch the the shower the water knob and then you'd be like is that contagious and then right. you touch this and you clean you pick up the bottle and you say do i need to clean the bottle and you find yourself on your hands and knees in the shower scrubbing everything not knowing when to stop you know yeah and my daughter would say hug me and she'd run towards me and i'd say no 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 until i'd have to go no which was so difficult because wow. a three-year-old just is saying my dad hug me so it was a dark, dark period, you know? Wow. And in fact, it was, in fact, it was so dark because I spent three months in bed, you know? Yeah. I spent three months kind of like kissing in bed. And it, it, it sort of, because I was sort of physically exhausted and mentally exhausted at the time, that, that, which is why that happened, I, I'm willing, willing to guess. Because that happened, the aftermath of that was I didn't play music for about a year and I really didn't want to. I, wow. Because I, I just... I was sort of like, ugh. Wow. But I ended, up, I ended up writing this record that was about the experience, the mental experience of trying to put myself back together after that, you know? Oh, wow. So it was, uh, and it was called Like Clockwork. And it was, uh, it was two records ago. And it was, it was, it took, it, it took a lot out of me, but it ended up, I, you know, like my grandpa said, it's not, you know, everyone gets knocked down. It's how you get up that matters. So it was. It ended up being good, but it was a tough time. And that was with which band? Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah. Which is your your main gig? Yeah, that that and Eagles of Death Metal are my main gigs. Really. Right. Do your kids remember that time at all, or no? Too young. Thankfully, she was only three, so right. she doesn't remember it except for sort of subliminally. Right. And as a fourteen-year-old, she's really taking that out on me now. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So, so, you know, what's interesting about those kind of infections is that um, I don't use you per se, but, you know, I'll have patients of all different walks of life, ages, sizes, shapes, um, socioeconomic status, and they come in with these crazy infections like that. And they'll say to me, you know, why me, Doc? You know, and the answer with a lot of that is we, we don't know why. And I, and I say to them, I've had musicians, I've had you know, attorneys, I've had a woman go to the nail salon and get it, you know, from getting her pedicure and just, you know, someone has a little cut or a little bite and, and the attack just gets in and it happens. Doesn't it have something to do with your immune system being just dragged down in the first place? Doesn't it require that sort of, um, your immune system is, is pretty shafted <laughs> in that moment in yeah. order to be that weak? Well, it's, it's kind of like the whole thing that you're hearing about Corona now is, is the same thing. Like the people who are more predisposed to getting it, you know, who potentially have trouble are people whose immune systems are down, but it's also the regular average Joe might get it too. And that's what's 
kind of been scary and tricky and weird about this whole corona thing right now is that you know, even though mostly you hear it's the elderly and someone with some predisposition, but then you hear about this totally healthy person who was fine one day and the next day, yeah, sick. And and that's something weird about about all these infections is you can't you can't always control it, and 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 to some degree there is some spontaneity to it. Well, and I, I think to the question of why me, it's, it's not like it's checking out a socioeconomical demographic chart and going well i need to make sure i get enough you know asians now because i've gotten so many you know you know white guys over here now i need to get make sure i get enough girls because it's got yeah there's none of that cross chatter it's simply you know i think in the, in the case of corona too it's it's uh the, i see a silver lining to all this but that silver lining definitely um is trying to put a positive spin on the fact that it's a bit um, of an interesting time when you could just touch the wrong thing yeah. and not wash your hands properly and then bam. Right. No, it's that, nuts. That adds a Vegas sort of Russian roulette aspect to what's going on right now. You know? Yeah. Are you, are you going, are you Lauren, are you Josh going down these rabbit holes of these conspiracy theories a little bit with Corona right now? Uh, no, I mean, I don't really <laughs> believe them. I don't know which one specifically you're talking about. Like, well, was it born in a lab, that type of thing? Or <laughs> Bill Gates thing? Yeah, all of that. <laughs> Have you heard about any of those, Josh? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist anymore. Because at some point, when I was, you know, before the internet, get these videos and read all this stuff, and it seemed like a more of a something hidden deliberately. But, you know, when was the last time someone, auto, you know, fact-checked or spell-correct the internet? I mean, you could be reading the New York Times and the amount of typos is blinding. Yeah. And so um, if all you have to do is sort of like, <laughs> it's a bit like, you know, it's verbal confetti. It's just, it's anyone can write or say anything and then do it in poor, grammatically poor. And there you go. It's out there. And, yeah. And, so it's 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 a bunch of preachers speaking to all their choirs, and so I I sort of feel like uh, you know what's more plausible, born in a lab and loosed on the world, or someone's eating bats. Um, are you a are you a movie fan at all? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got how old are your kids now? Oh, so we have similar fourteen, sixteen, and almost twenty four. What about you? That's, I got yeah. uh, 14, 8, and 4. Nice. So we're a little yeah. opposite there. Yeah, I have and like three, three only children because their ages are so far apart. You know? Right. So we kind of have that with our eldest. And, and my 24-year-old my worships you, I hate to admit, not because of your music, <laughs> but because you always get her Coachella tickets. Because <laughs> I always take care of you. Exactly. I always exactly. take care of you take care exactly. of me, I take care of you. Okay. Right, exactly. But no, so what I was referring to is, is this kind of like the Avengers, you know, this is like the Thanos snap, you know, where part of the population is going. Well, I don't know about, I don't know about applying it to the real world, but I'd like to say something about the Thanos snap. Okay. The Avengers had every chance to beat Thanos. <laughs> they couldn't do it. Yeah. And 
And they couldn't take the fact that they lost. Their egos were so bruised. Years go by and they still can't get over the loss. And instead they have to go back in time and change it because they failed. It seems like the only person in those two movies that did what they said they were going to do was Thanos, really. I don't know what your perspective is on those movies, but he said, I'm doing this. It'll be a better place. And they just couldn't take it, could they? They just couldn't leave it alone. No. Although, there, you know, there are plenty of times I wish I could go back in time. Of course. But, well, yeah, I suppose so. I have, even, I don't, for like silly, even for silly things, you know? Probably more for silly things than for real things. What, you, so you could eat popcorn and watch the dinosaurs walk by? Yeah, oh, that, that's true, too, yeah. But, like, yeah. you know, an opportunity that I had that I didn't take, that I wish I had taken, like, I had this weird opportunity to go work on Godfather 3 one summer because my dad was, a, like, a mob lawyer guy and kind of connected to them. And he goes, Jace, do you want to go to Italy, to Sicily, and work on post-production on Godfather 3? And I was like, no, I have plans with my friends this summer. You, I'm an wait, idiot. Wait, I, what? Wait, is, this, is that all of a sudden la landing a lot more credence to your last name, Cohen? <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of gangsters named Cohen, you know. Right. No, th that wasn't him. No. Oh, my come dad, on. My dad's... We're talking dad. about my name. All of a sudden, you have the most interesting name possible. No, my dad had a law firm, Sant'Angelo, Sant'Angelo, and Cohen. But he thought he was Sant'Angelo. He thought he was Sant'Angelo. That, that was my dad. And Lauren, Lauren knows all those stories. Mm -hmm. oh, those sound, that sounds amazing. That sounds better than tracking my name. Right. So I wish I could have taken the, you know, gone back in time and gone to spend the movie, you know, the time yeah, on that. You, but you know that if you had done that, the course of your life would be completely different. Mm -hmm. Right. You, you would back to the future. You understand that. You wouldn't. You, don't, you do not understand how Back to the Future the movie works. Right. <laughs> that, that's basically everything I know. I get from movies, like even yeah. all medical stuff. That like is so scary. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrifying for me. And that's why we do. I had no idea how to drain an infection and everything. I I had to look it up. At there was a few horror movies that had it. What like reanimated? What horror movies are draining infections? Yeah, I, no, I don't know. Nothing. Um, no clue. So, you know horror what? movies are you watching? I, actually, you're, I hate horror movies. You're in a horror movie. Right? I hate horror movies. But lately, my kid, my 14-year-old, uh, loves horror movies. Do your kids like horror movies? I, lo I love horror movies. I hate I them. I love horror movies. I hate them. We just watched Misery, which isn't really a horror movie, but that was fun. <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Do you ever say to yourself when you watch something like Misery, when, when she hobbles him, do you, ever, do you ever sit there and go, okay, here's what I would do to fix that. I, would, I need, you know, 10 cc's of whatever stat. Right. No, because I have to figure it out on the, no, but, but the whole reason why we do this podcast, the reason is, is because of like medical stuff in movies and TV and pop culture that I'll be watching and I'll be like, that's totally wrong. And that was kind of the premise to do this. Oh, really? I didn't realize that connection. Yeah, that, that was kind of the whole connection, yeah. And, and so I was doing a little bit of homework about you, and I see you, you have some credits, you know, some TV credits and stuff in your, in your life. Uh -huh. And the one, that, 
the one that excited me and interested me the most actually was Anthony Bourdain stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I met, I met Tony about 15 years ago and <clears throat> we just hit it off. Well, I met him in Berlin and, and, uh, and we just hit it off and became drinking buddies, you know? And, How did you meet? Um, he was, he was at a, a friend of mine who's a promoter in Germany had a restaurant called White Trash. And his show on the Travel Channel, uh, No Reservations, was really just starting. And so yeah. he, was there, he was there to check out Berlin, and this place, White Trash, was one of the places that he was at. And, uh, and so he came over to um, our show really early, like really early, after, just after soundcheck. And we basically drank and smoked and hung out and talked and uh for hours on end and just you know some people you just click with and um and so we spent you know 15 years um sort of pinballing around the world but making sure to 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 bounce off of each other as much as we could you know and, that's uh, awesome yeah it was a really it was a really great friendship uh he was a really uh he was a really fascinating and fun guy did you know, I, I see you're getting a little sad. I apologize. And I want to, I want to keep on this for a sec. He was a genius. He was brilliant. But did you know that like looking back now, did you sense that he had these demons that something bad was going to happen or? <clears throat> well, you know, um, again, and sort of ultimately, I suppose it falls in the category of, what a musician or someone in Tony's position, you never want to hear them. You never want to hear them tell you the reality of some of this, what happens when you travel around like a pirate for most of your life. Yeah. You know, um, it strains, it strains relationships and it, um, um, and it also creates, you know, it's good to have time to yourself to, to hold a mirror to yourself or to, to ponder where you're at. But too much of that is, is just that too much. And, when you put those together, the constant longing um, and that feeling of wherever I am, I need to be somewhere else, anywhere but here, or things yeah. of that nature. Yeah. And you really live, you live in the moment, but fly going in different directions. And I think um, it creates a, uh, a mental health issue that needs to be recognized. And as your level of notoriety goes up, um, you feel, you feel, that sharing these thoughts with someone is more dangerous. And um, because I think nothing sounds worse than what you perceive as a, as a, a complaining, successful television host or you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, and you don't, there is no advice that helps you have to experience it and go through, walk that, run that gauntlet in order to understand what it means and what you would do. Yeah. And that, and so I think it's, uh, it brings up a mental health um, conundrum, you know? Uh, yeah. So in hindsight, you're saying you, you, you were able to sense it or no? Because I, I want to be, for many reasons, like I, I have plenty of friends who, you included, who just told me that you had this tough year. Um, 
And I would love to know that I could be someone personally, both as just a normal person and as a doctor to be able to see someone and be like, hey, you know, we, we got to do something, you know? Well, I, I understand, I, and I think it's actually a great question, but I also think, um, you know, um, when it comes to matters of the mind and the heart, they can, they much like, you know, I mean, it's, it's much like an undiagnosed physical ailment. You, when, the, when you find out it, it happens that fast. And um, you're playing catch-up from the moment your heart is broken. Yeah. Tony had a broken heart. And I, not, where before I was angry and didn't understand, now I know it all too well. I know it too well. And I understand him too well. Yeah. Uh, and, and so those are difficult realizations. And, and you ask yourself, you know, what's controlling your life? You know, your body is really just uh, this protective pouch because your thoughts and how you yeah. feel is much bigger. Yeah. And, and it really, it's really dictating and acting as a driver for how your body works, too. And, and, yeah. and, and I, think, I, I, I think you would agree that there isn't enough um, research or time spent on the connection between how you feel and how you feel you know the, bridging those two together gosh I, I love how you just said just like someone's you know may have heart disease and all of a sudden but they don't know it and all of a sudden they have a heart attack i i love that analogy in terms of mental health and mental stability too i mean you may you're not going to know if something makes you do something one day necessarily it's about to happen in a certain way, love is almost like a mental health issue. You stop totally. listening to your friends and family. That's why it's called falling. Yeah, because you, it's, it's all great till you hit the ground. Yeah. You know? And, and, um, and, um, and I think that reality of falling for someone or going head over heels for someone or, yeah. or, or the heartache of having someone trash your heart is... Yeah. is um, so connected that some people don't want to be in their physical shell anymore. Yeah. And where before, where before I would have said, buck up little camper or some too big um, fling of, of pretense to, to pretend to a no with the empathy, with the empathy that you can muster, but you, you haven't gone through it. But now yeah. I really that so intrinsically that, you know, you can't know something you do not know. But once you know it, how do you unknow something yeah. that you truly know? Yeah. It's matters of the heart or falling of or yeah. going through a terrible breakup. Um, this is why I play music because, you know, there's all kinds of words where you, we use to try to express these definitions correctly to pinpoint what the feeling really is on the map of your heart or your mind. Yeah. But the truth is, is that words fail at some point. And to me, where words fail, music begins because I can say something and you might think you get it, but do you? But if I played it for you, it wouldn't really matter what language it was. Yeah. Uh, I hit the right. We lost you again. For you, Josh, I've been lost many times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you, th do you think you there? In all amazing creative types, whatever art it is, have, you know, have that a little bit or, or need that kind of thing to, to be great? Well, I, I, I don't know if there's a need, but
but I do think that there's a type of person that has an attraction to this existential search. Yeah. And, and what's funny is that if you were pathologizing everything, you could, you could diagnose it and say, wow, this person has trouble. But I would say that some of the best medicine is within the confines of art and the arts in general. You know, there's something about the pursuit of the idealism, that the yeah. ideal notion of per, the pursuit of your thoughts and these existential crisis or exist, you know, um, love, truth, happiness, you know, um, yeah. fair, justice, perfection. Well, perfection isn't something you could actually get, but it's yeah. something you strive for, maybe, you know. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm changing the topic a little because we've gotten really dark. So during this, during this corona uh, quarantine time, have you yeah, found... Change it to corona. <laughs> change it to corona so it doesn't get dark. Yeah, but, but I'm, I'm going to spin it now. Have you found that you've been more creative? Are, are you more productive? Are you more creative? Or are you less so with this quarantine thing? Well, um, you know, for me... Uh, there's been many blessings in all this. There's a lot of people going through extreme difficulty. But, but I have taken a lot of time off of work to be with my kids. And so it's really allowed me to be an engaged father, which is kind of the, that's the job that I like the most and that I hope I'm the best at. And so in this way, what it's done is it, it's allowed me to this concentrated time that I spent years pining for on tour, you know? Yeah. yeah. So in that respect, I feel blessed by this, you know? Um, and, um, but are you being, are you being more efficient? Like, have you cleaned the house? You know, have you gotten rid of all old crap? You know, that kind these of are stuff? things that, these are things that I kind of was already like, you know, um, that I was already kind of on top of anyways. I, I, are you doing like uh, art no, projects, I, you know, projects with your kids? I've been doing a lot of reading. I've been doing a lot of art projects with, with the kids. I have my own radio show where I play music and I, but um, I'm sort of laying, lying in wait to, um, to focus too much on music right now. I think there's a lot of people doing concerts from their couch. And I think that's awesome. I right. just, I, I'm just, um, I don't want to be just a white speck on a TV of black and white static right now. And, so you're and, saying so you're saying you're not willing to give us a little podcast little concert right now? Are you willing to play a little something? Well, I think is the reception worth it? Yeah, probably. I, I have a question. How our last guest, she had Does to, that mean no, Lord? Uh, What's that? Pressure him. Of course I'd love to hear music, but I don't want to pressure you, but I have a question. We're giving last, it a try. You're not going to let me ask my question. Well, Go can. ahead, Lauren. <laughs> Our last guest had two small kids, and she brought up, she said she wondered how this was, the effect that this was going to, the coronavirus was going to have on them psychologically in the future. Do you ever, do you think about that at all? Or do you see that your kids are like having a hard time understanding it? Or is it just fine? You know, I don't, I don't listen to the noise. And I don't, I'm not, I've never been much of a worrier or a panicker. Mm -hmm. Because you know, that when there's a crisis, nobody ever says panic. I know what to do. Panic, you know. And I just feel, um, I think I don't. I uh, I read a lot of news, but I don't watch a lot of news, you know. Um, and and what we do is we just have a good time, and we don't really 
um, we've kind of forgotten to talk about it because it's not, it's not required reading to talk about it every day. Right. You know, we're doing, we're swimming in the pool, which we're blessed to have. And, and, you know, um, there's just enough room. I bought this, this net for catching arrows and we're, so we're shooting bow and arrow in the backyard. <laughs> you know what I mean? I remember it probably as like a fun time rather than this like state of panic. Well, I think you, at some point you ask yourself, with the space that I'm allotted, and some people have such a tight space, it's a, that's such a difficulty, you right. know? I mean, um, I have friends in New York that, you know, my, my, my friend and his wife and their four kids in one small apartment, and, and the mom is there as well. And that sort of stuff is really mentally taxing. And I, I'm in a blessed to have a little more space than that and so i'm trying to really use the space and focus on what we can do that we like how are they doing with the homeschooling are they are they good at that homeschooling sucks you know clearly that digital schooling is terrible Awful. it's a it's a drain I, and, and also you know if you're dumb enough to, like I am, to school you you say i'm sorry what am i what am i paying for that's you know you <clears throat> that it's not exciting you know, learning should be fun and gentle. If, if you yeah. have a piano teacher that slaps your wrist, you don't, I'll show you someone that's not going to want to play piano. And yeah. so I feel like digital school is a bit of a wrist slap at all times. Yeah, you know? totally. There's no engagement. There's no tactile anything, you know? Wait, what's, speaking of piano, what's your main instrument? My main instrument is guitar. Are you, you self-taught? I'll try anything. Are you self-taught? Yeah, I mean, I had polka lessons for two years, but I just don't think that I should be admitting that. <laughs> no, but did you have a guitar instructor? You really taught yourself. No, I really did have a polka teacher for two years. Boom, ba, boom, ba, boom. And I think that's why if you actually track back through my music, you hear that boom, 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 kind of everywhere. <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea if you're joking or you're serious. <laughs> no, I'm 100% serious. There's a, like a polka pump. which polka that's a, that doesn't sound good. A polka guitar teacher? Yes. Yeah, his last name is Polanski, if that's nice. any yeah. Polka Polanski. Well, I had yeah. guitar as a little kid. I had Mrs. Roof, and all I learned how to do is play a frog when a courtin' to a metronome. That's, that's really all I learned. And that's why you're there and I'm here, basically. Well, I think the self-taught part, the, the lessons drove me to want to do anything but what that was, you know? My, my youngest daughter has been trying to self-teach herself guitar and ukulele, and that's kind of been a thing she's doing, and she has no interest in a lesson. Like she, we're like, why don't you get a lesson? She's like, no, no, I could teach myself online and da-da-da-da-da. Well, it's, it's so weird, though, because things like guitar or piano take a lot of work. Yeah. There's no app to be able to quickly be good at this. It, it has to, your fingers hurt, you have to, you have to, uh, Pass a threshold of, you know, there's no returns for the first bunch of months, <laughs> you yeah. know, and so it's funny because it's like, and with this attention span in this day and age, will these things, you know, you hope those things um, speak to people enough where they pick it up and 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 engage in it. Yeah. Well, I could play a mean frog one accordion. You know, I I wish I could hear that. I'm your yeah. reception bad. I'm sorry, I can't hear that. Yeah. Do you get do you get any stage fright? Not anymore. No, I, right. I get I 
it's uh, it's not fright. It's sort of this adrenaline rush of excitement. In fact, that's the single best part of playing music live is when the lights go down and you're supposed to take that walk. It's yeah. the best part. For the audience is the best part for the musician because nothing has happened yet, but everything is set in motion. Right. Right. That adrenaline rush is pretty amazing. My, I mean, occasionally I get stage fright. Occasionally. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, my kids ask me the same thing, you know, when about before surgery, do I ever get nervous? And the reality at this point, luckily, is no. But yeah, you know, you're, playing your deep, you're playing your deep cuts there. You know? Yeah, exactly. Nice. But, why, but, but see, I think that's much scarier than what I do because a surgery is like things go wrong, you know? Right. So, you know, one thing I do, you know, sometimes, you know, before a case I haven't done in a while, you know, I may reread about it or, or read about certain, read, look at certain anatomy. But then the reality is I'm, I'm experienced enough to know that if there's a surgery I'm going to be doing that I don't necessarily feel comfortable with, I'll get one of my partners who's really good at that and I'll let them be the lead on it and I'll just be the backup singer and we'll do it together and then there's nothing better than that. But I, I, I think nerves are of any type for surgery you probably just, correct me if I'm wrong, you just kind of get in that zone because you can't be like, yeah, you can't be, you know, you can't. hung over or you can't do a thing like you can't. No. no. Although, you know, it's funny that my, you know, I talk about um, the very first time gross anatomy. Here's gross anatomy. You know, the very first day of med school is gross anatomy. Uh, and you're in there in the morgue, you know, with your cadaver and you have dissection. It's your very first day of med school. And I remember, and it's a four hour lab. It smells like formaldehyde. You're in a mask. It's disgusting. It's your first time down there, these dead rigor mortis bodies. And, wow. and my, and I was like, okay, I'll be the first one to cut into the thing. And my hand was shaking so much. But by the end of that four hour lab, I was like in there, you know, and that was, <laughs> and that was pretty much it. You know, after that, you know, it was fine. But it's funny, I was so nervous that first day of gross anatomy, cutting into a dead person. Yeah, you could have killed him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could have re-killed him, you know. Well, I could reanimate it's, it's all like the reanimator thing. But Dr. Cohen, you listen to music, don't you, in the operating room? Does that like yeah. help you? I do. I, Josh, I have to confess, I don't, I, I, I'm not a huge music guy. I'm a, I'm a, oh, I'm a big music guy. I don't know your music. I, I looked it up a little bit to today. I'm not, not, you're, you're like a 90s music guy, right? You're like a 90s rock guy, aren't you? How, no. Uh, no? I've been going since then, but it's, it's very with what's going on today in terms of the, the idea is to never repeat genre. yourself. It's, what's that? What's your genre? I don't think... Well, luckily for me, I don't, I don't really have one. I, I've been able to maintain... Uh, I've been able to stay on the outside of everything. You know, I, I think because Queens has been putting out records for 20 years, certainly there's someone that's like, I listened to you in high school, but I'm always like, so did I. You yeah. Know? Because I've been doing it since I was 18, you know. So you so, mean if someone pin, pinholed you and said, you must tell me what your genre is, you, wouldn't an you, you couldn't give an answer? I mean, we were a rock band, I rock suppose. Band. But, but, but by the same token, you know, um, um, what did you grow up listening to? I grew up listening to punk rock music. You know? Ah, okay. But I also right. grew up listening to The Doors and Kenny Rogers and Chuck right. Berry. And, right. 
So, uh, I, and you know, Jimi Hendrix and all that. So I, I, I really, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't really love any of those things. I was like an eighties, <laughs> you know, eighties new wave guy. Oh, but I love that stuff too. Yeah. That's why and you got to listen to my radio show. It would be very educational. Would it? And I, but I was looking that you did something with Jules Holland and I was like, oh, there's, there's something. Yeah. I did. Yeah. He's got a squeeze because I love squeeze. Yeah, I notice you're because you're always hugging me when I see you. But <laughs> exactly. I, well, but he's got this wonderful show in England where where he where bands play live, but they play from you know it gets bands from all over the world, and so yeah. a real melting pot of, of music. And so I play that show quite a bit because it's such a great show, and uh, yeah. and he's a good guy. And um, so. I think for me early on, the goal was to be in a band that could play anything that you like, no matter what that was and be able to deliver it. Right. Yeah. And so I think early on, it was more hard, hard rock. Now it's just sort of anything that sounds good and it doesn't really matter what that means, you know? Right. It like, so most of your songs though are about me, aren't they? I, I would say probably at least 70%. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> certainly the record where I almost died, that record is almost all about you. Nice, exactly. So after your surgery, after Dr. Cohen, you met Dr. Cohen and you had surgery, did you change like how you were touring, like how you were living? Like, did you change things? I, I did. It was, uh, but by, the, by the time I came back and felt like I was fully on my feet again, um, I really, um, I knew that I needed to sort of do this differently, you know? Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, uh, the way that, my, um, I guess, business is, is that you, there's so, it's really not up to you. And so all you can do is make the thing that you love the most. And the more you love it, the better chance someone else has of loving. Mm. And, and, and then you, you know, try to make a plan, but those things are really, they shouldn't be cast in stone or you'll be disappointed. Right. Lauren, did you mean, did you mean music or you meant physical body mental? No, I meant both. I was just curious. Like, after something that serious happens, because we've talked about those kind of things that you performed surgery on before, and yeah. some people survive and some people don't. So I imagine it just has an effect on how you live your life and your career. It really, it, uh, nothing, you know, it was, it was the most impactful thing that had happened in my life at that time. And it, and it took probably a year and a half for me to be able to really get myself together again. It was associated with other things, too. Um, but I started doing transcendental meditation, um, and um, you know, I started really kind of turning my focus more towards family decisions first instead of um, music decisions first. Because up till then, I had raced. I'm, I'm a workaholic, and so a workaholic's work is never done, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so it really allowed me to sort of like change my perspective. But you've uh, lost. You've gotten into shape because you were at least 50 pounds heavier back then, weren't you? I was, yeah. I've lost about 45 pounds. Yeah. So are you working out? What are you, what's your, are you eating differently? Yeah, I work out, eat differently. I, I'm, I hike a lot, you know, and, and I try to just for a few hours a day, keep moving, you know, uh, yeah. find some kind of, because I don't like to be boxed in by something but I like directions. And what I mean by that is I like the direction of more health. And, um, but I don't like to have to quantify what that is in a regimented way. So I, I, I work out, 
I'm swimming a lot right now, but if it's hiking for a while next week, that's fine. It's, it's really more about um, um, making sure that is a, is a direction that I go that's a percentage of my every day. You know? Yeah. You know, my, I always have to throw my wife in because, you know, otherwise she'll, I'll get in trouble. So um, my wife is, is brilliant in many, many respects, and she's like on the forefront of stuff. Okay, there, I gave the plug. I'm done. No. So, um, but she does talk about it's really important to move every day. And, and when I hear a lot of doctors telling patients or in the news or in the media, you know, you have to work out three days a week for 40 minutes, you know, that's all you need to do. The reality of that is, I guess if you're doing nothing, that's fine. But the reality is it needs to be more of a lifestyle thing like you're talking about, where you really need to be doing something every day. And it can't just be three days a week, because if you miss a day, then it's only two days a week. It has to kind of become a part of you. And whether it's swimming now and walking now and hiking now, there's really something to it. And it sounds like you have figured it out. Well, I think ultimately... Things, especially, like I was on a hike before this with, with my daughter, Camille. Right, instead of getting your guitar. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and, but it went long and that was good because yeah. we were spending that time together and we're yeah. walking. And, you know, the idea of, of running on a treadmill is never going to happen for me but because I need to go somewhere, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. But the idea of sort of capturing my kid and... and getting that time and we're walking and pushing and it really feels like mentally and physically we're going somewhere. Yeah. You know? And so you have, I a, tried. you have a 14 year old daughter. So do I. So it's hard. Sometimes she'll say yes, but for the most part, if I say, Hey kiddo, let's go for a walk or a hike. Most of the time it's no. Are you lucky enough where your kid will be like, okay. Well, I just employ a little different technique. I'm like, I have two techniques. One, I say, hey, come with me. Grab your shoes. You got to come with me real quick. That's good. And I don't say anything else. It's like, where are we going? And and it's like, come out front. Just come out front with me. And she doesn't go where, why, no? Yeah, and she she goes, what are we doing? And I was like, just come with me. I want to show you this. Okay, I got to try that one. Okay. Keep giving the least information possible. And then I'm like, you got to see this. I mean, of course... By the third time, she's like, I know what's going on. I'm like, you don't, you don't this time. Right. The of not knowing. Right. And that's what, what was the other technique? The other thing is about technology because we regulate it heavily in my house. And so it's like, if you want to earn technology time, you got to walk around with your father. Ooh, that's good too. You're you're entitled to nothing, but you can earn anything. Nice. So that's the second, that's the technique that gets employed the most, I would say. That, that's what probably works better. Yeah, it's, that's the one we kind of lean on at all times. <laughs> that's great. So, okay, I have to, I have to borrow <coughs> both of them. So, um, just because we went dark, I want to go dark again. So, um, if you're willing. Well, you I, willing? I didn't think that was that dark. I just thought that was some philosophical. No, I mean earlier. Earlier we went dark. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. I, I don't think, I don't it, was think it was. In okay. my world, not dark at all. Oh, great. Okay, so let's go. Um, I, had, I, I don't know if we bumped into each other or you called me right after um, some terrorist attack on a concert in Europe. 
that yeah. I, we reconnected after that, like right around right. then. And I don't remember, you're going to tell me the details, but you said you were supposed to be there, right? Like, yeah, I mean, uh, my wife was pregnant with our, our youngest son at the time. And, uh, and uh, two, days before I, uh, two days before the band left for Europe, I found a replacement drummer to take my place um, because my wife was so pregnant um, and really wanted me to be there. And, uh, right. And I really wanted to go to Europe because it was this record had just come out and it was the, 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 uh, the first tour of Europe. And, For which uh, band? Which, which band? Eagles of Deathman. Right. Eagles of Deathman, yeah. Um, but it wasn't meant to be. And, and I'm glad because someone needed to get them home. And, uh, and yeah, it was, that was a, again, those are one of those things that <clears throat> mentally you really have to, um, there's no way to be prepared for what you have to deal with with something that's like that, you know? Yeah. 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 And you, lo you lost a friend, right? Or I lost, uh, there was a lot that was lost that day. And, yeah. um, and, and also the, the world changed. Um, and, um, you know, you wonder if being at the epicenter or close to the epicenter or even a couple rings back from major events is a good thing or a bad thing, especially when they're so impactful to everybody, you know? Um, and I really don't, I don't know that answer. I just know that um, in moments like that, um, you're reduced. It doesn't, it doesn't define your character as much as reveal what's there. And so quickly you, you discover who you're surrounded by. And you see people for who they are. And I suppose in that respect, um, knowing who someone truly is in that moment is, is helpful because there was certainly a lot of culling of things going on at the time. Yeah. Around. So you, you've had, I mean, to some degree, you are really blessed. You, you've had, despite all these horrible things, you, you've really had some lucky moments of of kind of being in the right place or recovering or not being in the wrong place or well i would say i'm a survivor i'm i've uh, the last four or five years have been there's been a lot of difficulty <laughs> you know? yeah yeah but I and interestingly not to belittle that is la our last week's guest who's an anesthesiologist she was a survivor contestant Oh, really? Because I love Survivor. Right. right. Sorry. I'm belittling what you said, trying to make a dumb joke. Sorry. Yeah, but you don't, you don't understand that Survivor is actually my favorite television program, so that's totally fine for me. Which, is it with? Yeah, which person is she? She's Dr. Edna Ma. I think she was on in 2011, so it was a while ago. And she yeah. went to like seventh or she was like, yeah, voted off without him. I've, I've seen them all. Oh, really? Favorite show? Them. Yes, absolutely. Why don't you go on it? Do they have a, like an opportunity to have musicians go on? Oh, no, I'm way too cool for that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I was amazed that, that she would do that. And would well, you it changes people's lives. They go on there trying to put their best foot forward and all this stuff. But the end of the first day, they're starving. And then they're doing mental challenges for a cheeseburger. And, right. and it's for a million dollars. So it's a total life-changing amount of money in one short burst of time. 
And when they get out there, they lose 40 pounds and they kind of gain this perspective of what's important in their lives. It really, truly changes everyone. But you want to talk about a crazy, um, you know, socioeconomical melting pot, which then creates this existential, you know, situation for these people where they go, they go, what's important to me when they're on this show? It changes their lives. Yeah. So it's a really interesting program if you're going to watch a program. Huh. That's what I do. You watch, do you watch uh, any, any, you know, TV? Are you binging anything? Do you watch any Netflix? Is, is that your thing at all? I haven't watched that much TV, but I, I will say I watched this Succession. Did you see that show? Loved it. Woo! Yeah. That, that shit is good. Did you watch, did you watch both, uh, all, with the two or three seasons? There's two. It's, I think. I'm almost done with the second one. Yeah, you haven't finished the second one yet? No, but I, boy, am I enjoying it. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's great. Did last, you see the, the episode where he goes up on stage and he raps? No, but thanks for giving it away. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, I thought that no, was I early on. Huh? I, I haven't got there. I'm in the second season. I haven't, I haven't got there. Uh, oh, that's pretty fun. That's a fun part of it, actually. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Cool. But, you know, I've been going back over all the movies that, uh, that were very impactful in my early life, like uh, The Warriors and Better Off Dead and Real Genius. and Warriors. Warriors yeah. come yeah. out to play. It's not only the days of today where you're sort of battling your way back to your house, you know. Yeah. Did you say Real Genius? Mm-hmm. With Val Kilmer? Great movie. Totally. Did, did you- do you try to get your kids to watch certain movies that you want them that's, to see? That's what I've been watching with them, all these movies. Better Off Dead with John Cusack. That, yeah. So I'm yeah. Worried, want them to see Real Genius, but I'm wondering, is it going to be too dated? Was, so did your kids watch it? No, it's amazing. They loved it? Yeah, it's like black trousers and never go out of fashion. <laughs> okay. You know, no, I love Real Genius. That was yeah. great. Okay, I'm going to yeah. try to get them to watch that. Yeah. So you're a Val Kilmer fan. Yeah, why not? Yeah. yeah. Willow. Tombstone. They watched was Tombstone. Oh, or was that Tom Cruise? What's that? Willow. It wasn't Willow. That was Val Kilmer. Yeah. And The yeah. Doors. Yep. Yeah, I mean, but you really, can you really make movies like about The Doors? I don't know. It's like, can you really do it? The music biopics are toughy. I thought that was decent, no? I think Oliver Stone has a way of like, uh, mythologizing everything to death uh-huh. you know what i mean exactly. yeah kind of. for sure. yeah yeah <laughs> any other uh thoughts lauren comments today is earth day oh um doctor i is- well you want to huh? talk about criticism and uh how you know we yes so so on my last podcast i had i had my masks around my neck uh, I, I had them on my face earlier, and now I'm in this room, so I put them down. So today I get a, 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 a hater, not a hater, but someone saying, Doc, you know, you should be smarter than that. Take your mask off or something, you, you know? So, really? and, and one of the things that, that Lauren was concerned about, we talked about on our last podcast too, was when we started doing the podcast, one of her concerns is, I'm supposed to be a somewhat serious doctor and surgeon, and yet I'm doing this thing, you know? You're supposed so, to be. Right, exactly. So her concern, and 
is her, like, you know, I have to play the role of doctor all the time. And if I'm not playing the role of doctor, people may not want to come see me. People may not want to be my patients. People may think I'm an idiot. And Lauren's concerned. I want to say that you really shouldn't start with, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Because that's <laughs> right. not the way to be. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, you're making a mistake. That was yeah. not the point to, to introduce yourself to me. But, uh, but that's but fine. We, yeah. But you guys have been friends for 10 years, so. Okay. Yeah. So, but so Lauren was concerned, you know, when we were doing this, she's like, I'm a little worried about, and I think that's one of the reasons why we've only done video. She hasn't, I mean, audio, she hasn't done video. So you're, you're on a much more global, huge scale, and I'm sure you get haters too. How do you, or whatever, just negative stuff. How do you deal with that? Because well, me, a, it hurts I, me. Really? I, I see, I, I, it, I, I have a few things to say about that. I, I have a saying that naysayers say nay, that's all they can say, that's why they say nay. Is that, so, a, rhyme? Is that like a nursery rhyme? Well, I, I'm saying it in my bedroom, it's a bedroom rhyme right now. But, uh, they but, say, say nay, that's all they can say, and that's why they say nay? I have to like, yeah. recite that? Yeah, if, I say it at the stables a lot near all the horses. Now, that, the, no. the important part about criticism is that it will come no matter what. Right. But they, they call it a following because you follow me. I don't follow you. When, when you follow your following, that's a circle, and that's where you go nowhere. Yeah. So, you know, I don't – what I do is I engage with my fans on the street one-on-one. -on -one. When people come up to me, I'll, I, I love meeting them, and um, I'm happy to talk about whatever. But online, I don't care what anyone says. It's not a real yardstick for success nor failure. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes, somebody has some other thing that they're dealing with, and they just want an easy, anonymous... When people are anonymous, they're quite cruel. Yeah. And the best way to deal with anonymous cruelty is to pretend that it doesn't exist, because it really doesn't exist. And the only way to exacerbate it is to like feed that fire. And I, I told my buddy, uh, Mark Ronson, when, you know, I said, if 15% of the people don't hate you, you suck. <laughs> and, and, he, and he said, I'm just trying to get it down to 45%. <laughs> That's great. But, but I think one of the keys is to, um, when you're having an original idea, when you're expressing yourself, when you're expressing yourself clear and faithful to your personality, you have to offend somebody. Or right. you're not, right? And the, the and and certainly in what I do, and I think is a rule of thumb for it. Honestly, anyone, no matter what you do, you have to express your opinion in a way that doesn't shove someone in a corner to fight, but doesn't um, isn't passive language. I love speaking colorful, colorfully, and I love speaking honestly from me as myself. And um, I'm not interested in offending someone, but I don't expect not to. Right. And, and because I think, in particular, if you have an idea that has any, uh, you know, any aroma of originality to it, other people will not understand it. Because by yeah. nature of this good idea, most people won't have it. Yeah. And so initially, if you have a good idea that's relatively original, the whole goal is that most people don't understand it and don't like it. Because that's what makes it original in the first place. So... When you're starting to get this thing going, people have to not like it or you're making a mistake. Mm. Uh, in, in, that, in that definition, in this sort of
sort of paradigm. It, it you know having a good artistic idea or a good medical idea that's on the vanguard of something, it needs to be misunderstood by 99.9% of the people or it's the same fucking idea from before. Right, you know, right. If, it, yeah. if anyone could have it, they would be having it. Right. And, and, and I certainly... I'm uh, going to put my mask back on. <laughs> you, you, well, my point is uh, you should do whatever the hell you want on whichever day that is when you know yeah. what the right... Yeah, and and certainly, there's no way I could be derailed by the comment of some. I could not be musically derailed by someone that um, sells shoes or sells medical supplies or right. works with a youth charity. You yeah, know, it's like I, I uh, and 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 someone's vitriol. I always say, well, it's misdirected because if you really want it to work, you should direct it at someone who cares. Yeah. You know, Earlier you know, on, you, you know, you, you've been doing this for a while, so, but were you always that, did you always have such a great outlook, or earlier on was it harder for you? I think... I think earlier on, we didn't have the internet, so you, you didn't well, have... But, that. I mean, I think really early on, um, when you hear the criticism of your friends or people that come see you live, yeah, um, that hurts, but you need to learn to... My first band, as we toured across the United States, everyone hated it the whole what, time. What band? It, it was called Caius. And, uh, and it was a very heavy band in a time when there wasn't that around. It sounds medical, Caius. It sounds like Kyle. Right. It was a procedure where you have your dignity removed by having <laughs> everyone hate music. And, uh, no, but it was, it was very much, um, I, th I think what it really boils down to is faith. <laughs> You have to believe in yourself because certainly when you're having these ideas about creation of something, when you want to create something, um, the first thing someone does is say, I could do it better. I, I can make it bluer. I, I've seen hotter. Right. And I think um, what you end up, hopefully what someone gets to is um, then by all means, go make it bluer, hotter, and better somewhere else. But, you know, I've read this book by Brene Brown called Daring Greatly, which is a quote from, I believe, Eisenhower. What's most important is to enter the ring and, and engage and not listen to the jeers and the cheers from the stands. Because um, people that will not in, in, engage and risk and dare greatly have nothing, they have nothing in the fight. And so their opinion is actually. Um, it's just a face making sounds. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the noises we make from our face um, don't need to be impactful when they come from a place that isn't constructive. You know, if it's just throwing rocks for the sake of throwing rocks. My grandpa said something really great to me when I was young. He said, if you're going to be different, you're going to get hit with rocks. So you need to learn to like rocks. <laughs> your grandpa was a wise man he was indeed that's it's tattooed on my hand that's why what does that say cap that's his 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 nickname was everyone called him cap was he a military guy he was he was a captain and and uh and he was he was a he was a great man cool nice yeah my my grandfather you know sold ice on the lower east side that's that's about he slept around a little ice thing that's a pretty cool job yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah how long did it take till you you hit 
you, you know, a certain level of like, you're like, we made it. How, how long did it take you? Well, you know, I, I, I always feel like a kid from the desert. So I really have a hard time saying things like we made it, you know, let me ask you what, let me, the reason why I'm asking is my eldest daughter, who's 24 sees all these people who are successful for, it seems like doing nothing, you know, today you could be successful on the internet for who knows what, but then you hear about these overnight successes. And the bottom line is what I say to her is they're not overnight successes. They've been battling and duking it out and fighting it out and, they're about to quit, and finally, someone notices them. But they're, they're, there's really no such thing as an overnight success. You have to work at it, which I think is a problem with today's generation a little bit when they see a lot of these quick successes. So I'm curious how long it took till you kind of felt like you had some success. Well, for me, it's always been overnight. Pretty, yeah, it was overnight. Yeah. yeah. It pretty much happened immediately. No, yeah. I, I, my priority was always to be a, a good songwriter and to do what I said I was going to do as much as I could. Yeah. Um, because I come from that construction working background and, and my, 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 both my parents are hardworking and my grandparents are hardworking. And so it was about um, doing a good job while you did the job you were doing. Yeah. And so I always wanted to be a good songwriter and get better and be a good producer and get better and try to find who I was that the part of me that was original and exacerbate that part of me. And so it wasn't about walking red carpets and um, having the most, I don't want to be in U2, the biggest band. I don't I want to be the biggest band. I'd like to yeah. be the best, best in, the, you know, in the world. And I think that's, there's a categorical difference. So I think when um, people have different aims, certainly. And so when, when, when you're singing a song that nine people wrote and you have nothing to do with, you're, you're in my mind, I always think of it as you're trying to cut corners, but those corners you cut, they still need to be accounted for and they end up being what blocks you later on. Those, all those corners you think you cut add up to some wall mountain that you need to overcome mm -hmm. later. And, um, and that's my belief. Now, it's different for everybody, but you are rolling the dice and you end up saying, do I want to bet on your plan? or a bet on the belief in what I do. And so I think uh, those, that's what always been more important to me is to, be, to represent yourself accurately. And that's difficult to do in the public eye. You can't always represent, be represented accurately. I mean, the amount of things that get said that... I don't, what I'm not asking like when you became known. I'm, I mean, when did, when did you realize, hey, I'm making a living at this, I could, this could be, I could do this and not have to build homes. How well, long did that? It was, it was always gradual because in the beginning I didn't make any dough, but I didn't need okay. it. So it didn't matter. I've, I've been, I've been just a musician since I was 18. Right. And, and, but I always have this thought that someday someone's going to knock on my door and, and they're going to be like, uh, Mr. Home, is it? Is it uh, Mr. Home? No one likes your music anymore. Okay. Take your stuff and let's go. So I just always have that. You still do. I, I, I always have that expectation that this is only in the now. Yeah. It's not sure. Yeah. You know? So I think that's always kept me looking for something that feels right for me. I think around 28, I, I was like, I can do this. This is what I do. And I'm all in, you know? Right. So by almost by age 30. So, so you had to work a long time at it, but you know, what's yeah. interesting how you talk about, 
you think you're going to get a knock on the door saying your career is up. You know, even with medicine and surgery, there are periods where we're really busy and then periods, believe it or not, where patients just aren't coming in the door. And a former mentor of mine who's since retired, um, maybe 10 years before he retired, said to me, yeah, it's slow right now. And, and I'm worried that no one's going to come anymore. And no one's going to get hurt. No, yeah. Well, but, I think too, but you but have to people stay are going to stop sending patients, you know? Yeah, but you have to you have to stay at the vanguard of what you do in order to be there, right? I mean, yeah. So the study isn't that is is always ongoing. Yeah, isn't that the case? Totally. Because I, I think it's it sounds like if you don't put in the work, you're not you're sort of getting in the middle of the pack, which would be yeah, it's never really the place to be, no matter what no. you do, you know? Yeah. Because you're always doing something. I mean, what you're always people unless people attacking you from both sides, then you do want to be in the middle. Well, well, that sounds like a party I'm willing to go to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else? No, we've taken up over an hour of its time, almost an hour and a half of its time. So. Oh my God! Should this be like a two-parter? <laughs> no, I think it's fine for one. Oh party. wait, I have my call. I got to call my babies. I have a FaceTime call with my kids in nine minutes. Okay. Oh, oh that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. yeah. We'll let you nice. go. Yeah, I, really, I really enjoyed talking to you. I'm sorry I didn't grab my guitar. I really did go on a hike. And... Well, we're going to have to do it again then. We're going to have to what, do a music thing. Whatever you want. Uh, once we can all see each other, I'll come in the office. What, you know, I'll even try to hurt myself here pretty soon. We'll do like a kumbaya kind of thing. <laughs> thanks. thanks, Josh. Thank you. you so much. I really appreciate Great it. Meet you, Lauren. Good to see you. Let's go get some coffee with masks and gloves at a great distance. I love it. Here you All go. Right. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. See ya. Okay. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.